Welcome to the SR Strategic Sourcing Podcast. My name is Gary Tinsley and I'm joined here today by my colleague, Susan Rashid. We are also very pleased today to have with us Ben Matluski, who is the Head of Central Procurement for J. Murphy and Sons Limited. In this session, we'll be talking with Ben and asking a series of short questions to understand more about working in procurement in the construction industry in these very interesting times. So it's a big welcome from me and a big thanks to Ben for joining us today. And I'll now pass you over to Sue, who can ask the first question. Hello, and thanks, Gary, for that introduction. Welcome, Ben, again. Um, okay, so I'd like to kick off with the topic around COVID. So, Ben, can I ask you, can you tell us how you think COVID has impacted the construction industry? No problem, Sue. Um, thanks, to, thanks for being uh, inviting me to this. Um, the effects have been absolutely massive. I think when I first had a meeting with our commercial director in February about it and we started planning for the end of the world, no one really knew where, where the, the dice were going to land. And actually, I think some of the early conversations we had at that point probably helped prepare us. Um, and I think the fact that we'd probably spent the six months prior to this looking at a no-deal Brexit had also helped give us a great understanding of our supply chain, albeit we, we still don't know enough. Um, and I think one of the, the lasting things to come from this is that we certainly will know a lot more about where our products and services come from as a result of all this. But it's affected us in various ways. We've got supply issues with, with not being able to get certain products and services, so we're having to differentiate, look for alternatives, which can compromise things like quality or safety or even a client specification. So that's that's a challenge. Uh, there's pricing shocks where we'd have agreed rates for things that unfortunately can't be honoured due to additional costs as a result of COVID, whether that be to do with logistics or even, you know, um, reduction in manufacturing slots or being able to get people to make the product that you need. Um, our supply chain, there's a lot of people in financial distress at the moment. Um, so paying people quickly it's really important to us at the moment. Clients are paying us quicker. And the expectation of them doing that is that we need to pay our supply chain quicker. But sometimes that's easier said than done. It can be quite difficult to get payment through ERP systems and get all the bits and pieces that you need. Um, and I think for a fall in service and a fall in kind of operational performance from the supply chain, which is totally expected, but at the same time, it's hard to get your head around when you're used to getting something within 48 hours and you're having to wait five to seven days for it. It's trying to have those difficult conversations with the key stakeholders that we need to start planning better. Um, and obviously, you know, we've got our own pressures um, at our end, which makes that difficult. So I think it, it, all in all, it's made things really difficult. But one area which caught me completely off guard that I never even thought of um, is trade credit insurance. It's been an absolute nightmare to try and sort out, really. Um, a large proportion of our supply chain insure um, debt with them, if you like, in case, we to go, in case we were to go under. I think since the demise of Krillian, that's happened more and more. But construction is a very, um, what's the word? It's not a very glamorous industry, and it's not one that's liked by risk markets because we tend to be the ones uh, that, that suffer first in, in the wake of recessions. And we've got a awful lot of risk involved. So I think we've, we always struggle to get trade credit insurance anyway within our sector. And I think COVID has made them even more nervous. So, you know, we've got an excellent balance sheet. We've got a really good pipeline and we've got, you know, cash in the bank. But all of a sudden our supply chain were coming to us and saying, I'm sorry, we, we can't work for you unless you pay us up front. Or, you know, we, we look at different terms because they couldn't afford to trade uninsured with us. So that was a real difficult 
piece of work that's still ongoing now. Um, the government's brought in a scheme to try and alleviate the pressure, but unfortunately, it doesn't help everyone and everything. No, there there seems to be a lot a lot of challenges that procurement are facing there. Do you think Do you think it's something that's um, going to you know the changes you've made to overcome this? Is, do you think there's going to be long term changes? It's going to stay in place. Uh, I think certain things will stay. I think we'll certainly be a lot better prepared for things like this in the future because I think the problem with risk mitigation is that well, people don't tend to take it all that serious. And, you know, whilst I'm sure global pandemic was our overall group risk register, it certainly never filtered out to procurement and I've never been asked no. about it before. So no. I, I do think that we will have a lasting risk mitigation strategy in place for procurement on our supply chain longer term. Um, we're very concerned about Q4 this year. So we've developed a risk mitigation um, spreadsheet and tracker to kind of monitor some of our key supply chain that we're concerned about. So we think when the government subsidies end at the end of October, November and December is going to be a really difficult time for the sector. So um, we're, we're monitoring that closely and I think we'll keep that in place for a very long time. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like I think everyone needs to. Do you think... Um... The profile of procurement has risen as a result of, of this uh, pandemic. Uh, absolutely. I think procurement as a whole is becoming more and more vital um, and the world is taking notice. It's actually genuinely an important um, discipline. So I think even Matt Hancock himself in a one of his press conference turned around and uh, and you know passed his thanks on to the NHS procurement staff who'd managed to source various products that he needed and even just getting in the media like that helps but certainly within our own organization I think we've we've been transitioning over the last five years to try and get away from that purchasing cheapest price cranking the handle um, to becoming much more of a procurement value centered function and I think that opportunities like COVID and, and Brexit to an extent have helped us demonstrate that we're actually trusted advisors of understanding what's going on within our supply chain and the different tiers within our supply chain. So absolutely. And John Murphy, our CEO um, and uh, an owner, is massively passionate about looking after our supply chain. So supply chain collaboration and making sure that they're happy with us as a, uh, you know, as a contractor is, is really important. So you know, I know that we've got his backing behind what it is that we're trying to do. And if anything, COVID's accelerated that and people can see that we've, we've got the answers. You know, we're not just about price. And, and do you think that this is uh, this change in perception is, is, is a, you know, a short term or a long term change? I think it'll be a long term change. I mean, you've only got to look at retail and what happened with the Tesco horse meat scandal that. It's stayed in place and I know plenty of people on that retail side that you know now trace everything back to everywhere and you know only in the last week you've had the whole boohoo scandal with modern day slavery within the within the UK within Leicester now you'd never thought that would be possible no. um, but things like that again just constantly place on the radar that if you don't have procurement and supply chain right it can have really drastic effects on your brand so I, I think if anything it's going to become really really important um, even more so over the coming years, which is good. So, so I would say the one positive that's come out of a coronavirus is the perception of procurement. It has been raised, and it looks like it's here to stay, which is which is good. One positive, at least. Definitely. Um, can I ask you? Um, at the moment, there's lot lots of um, interest um, 
in the news regarding young people coming into the construction industry or just young people um, coming into industries. What 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 is construction doing about this to bring young people into the construction industry? As a sector, it's just not doing enough. I think that, that that's the the key thing, and there's not enough collaboration with with our peers, um, and there's not enough longevity provided by clients to be able to do it. I think that you know the government strategy around infrastructure procurement and even major buildings procurement it just isn't right you know it encourages a race to the bottom so you're not able to have those sensible conversations about looking long term to be able to continue to bring that pipeline of young people through I mean our order book is pretty much secure for next year and we've got about 70% for the year after but then after that it drops off to you know 13 40% so you're never really in control of more than the next couple of years and obviously when you invest in young people that's a long-term decision so it, it makes the construction sector very nervous to do so it doesn't mean that we don't but it's a calculated risk so I think that the one perhaps positive to come out of Brexit may be that the, when OGU isn't there, and I'm not a public sector procurement expert, it might encourage clients to look at longer term partnerships and try and cut through some of the red tape that's perhaps prevented us from having these partnerships that's allowed us to all look long term. Um, because IR35 is going to cripple construction when that eventually comes in because yes. there's a huge amount of self-employed people because that's the nature of the, the boom and bust cycle. You know, businesses do not want to take huge amounts of people permanently on the books. So, you know, again, it, it, we, need, we need to look to government policy to try and change that because predominantly all our clients are public bodies or linked to that, the public sector. Yeah. So, so ideally... What what would you like to see happen, you know, at Murphy's? So we're really proud of our, we've got to grow our own strategy in place since 2017. Um, and since we put that in place, um, we've taken on, we started off year one, one graduate, following year we did two graduates. Um, and this year we're going to take two graduates. We've also taken an intern each year and we're looking to start taking apprentices for the first time as well. But Fantastic. It, it, isn't just about bringing people through you've got to create the room for them as well and you've got to create the opportunities so internally we've created a career toolkit which outlines all our different job roles all the different key skills and differences between them to allow people to look at people's different career corridors skills gap analysis and work out where they want to go to next so we're doing a huge amount of work in that space at the moment to create those opportunities because we were a very flat structure in procurement and we're adding additional roles to keep people interested to be able to kind of push people through you know we'd love to get to a place where we don't bring anybody in um you know other than graduates but we're, we're not there yet that's going to take probably another three to four years to, to to push through but we've got a really good crop of young people and it's a really exciting time um but it's taken us three years to get to that point. So I imagine it will be another three years' time. Yeah. Do, do you think there's any good benchmarks out there for, for young people in terms of organisations bringing young people in? Um, to varying degrees. I think every, every organisation is different and it totally depends on what that individual wants. So our scheme is, is like various other schemes. We try and rotate people as, as much as you can to get a wider exposure across businesses. But I know that certain graduates, young people don't want that. They want stability and they want to be able to stay in one place. So it totally depends on what the individual's after because we always say that if you're more mobile and you're more geographically um, open, you'll get an awful lot more from um, opportunities. schemes. 
Yeah, so it, it totally depends on what the individual wants. But I think that if it, what I'm finding more and more when I'm interviewing graduates is they're also interviewing us as to whether or not we fit yes. them. They want, yeah. um, you know, there's a huge amount of pressure from that younger generation coming through around ethical sourcing, green, sustainability. And, you know, it's embarrassing, actually, when I tell them what we're doing and they're impressed by it. And I'm thinking, if you went to go and have an interview with Google or you went to go and sit down with a cooperative, you know, it embarrassed me, really. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Ben. I'll just hand over to Gary. I think he's got a few more questions for you. I, yeah, I have, yeah. But I'd just like to ask one more on this <clears throat> subject you've just been um, talking about. Do you, do, you, do you think, Ben, that now graduates are actually wanting to move into procurement um or do you still think that's a challenge for us i think it's a challenge but do you know something i think if we get the pr right it'd be a really easy sell yeah um i fell into procurement i had a choice between tesco's and carillion and i took carillion because it paid slightly more otherwise who knows where i'd be now but when it comes to it you know I want a great strap line would it be you know do you want to spend 300 million pounds on somebody else's money you know <laughs> yes, that, yeah. yeah exactly and, and it's appealing and it is a really interesting job that encompasses so much and so yeah. much variety and the differences across sectors is huge so I think that SIPs needs to do more um, to, to attract young people through we need to have you know degrees that are very closely linked to the SIP syllabus that mean that you spend very little time afterwards getting your your formal academic qualifications out of the way because you know when when I tell people about it they're interested and the number of people that I've spoken to that have since applied for graduate schemes in procurement just as a result of having a conversation with you think that that isn't enough it needs to be done on a much broader scale and so you know you look at quantity surveying they're a lot better at attracting people than say procurement are accounting and finance is seen as a very stable job with you know excellent career prospects we need to do more Um, i know that sips is spending an awful lot of money on investing in emerging markets which is you know important but i think we've taken our eye off the ball in the uk i think there's a lot more we can do and we're not doing enough okay (coughs) okay um so thanks for that uh moving on I want to discuss Brexit. <laughs> um, no it's a really good topic, Gary. Yeah, it's sort of it's like sort of been superseded by coronavirus, but hopefully coronavirus won't do. But Brexit's definitely coming back. Um, <laughs> what I want, to, I suppose, we start with asking you, Ben. Um, it seems to me, and I may be wrong, but it seems to me that in the background here, we seem to be drifting towards a hard Brexit. Um, how do you? How would a hard Brexit impact uh, yourself uh, in construction and at Murphy's so I've spent an awful lot of time on this Gary as you might imagine the yeah. last two years I've lived and breathed it I'm on the group Brexit strategy committee or, or, and you know you find yourself getting quite passionate about various elements of this this surely won't happen and uh, but you know in effect I think it's more likely than ever um, yeah. which is a sad indictment of, uh, of where we are but yeah. put, putting that aside the problem is we don't have enough visibility to understand what the true effects will be. I could, you know, it depends how far you go. So I, from a very simple basic term, an awful lot of fuel that comes into the UK is imported, you know, and if our ability to bring fuel into the UK is hampered, then that's going to severely affect every single facet of life um, and construction will be no different. So 
on the face of it, 95% of what we procure comes from within the UK market. So you slap yourself on the back and you think, great, we'll be absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but actually, the 5% of the stuff that we do source from Europe is really critical stuff like cable that, you yeah. know, on critical paths for national grid projects, which means if we don't get it, we won't deliver. So the power doesn't go into the grid in time. So we'd be in severe financial penalty. And at the same time, national grid won't be able to get what, you know, their energy producing source online either. But yeah. it's the it's the ninety five percent that's of equal concern because once you start scratching away at your supply chain, it's quite scary as to where it all comes from. So <laughs> we've dipped our toe in the water over the last six weeks. Um, I picked one particular category and just wanted to map where it all comes from because you think right, I'm buying it off a UK distributor, great, and they're getting it from a manufacturer that's that's based in the UK or Europe, but they've got various locations in the UK anyway. So that's so I'm covered. Well, no, you're not. I mean, it, it was fascinating, really. I looked at footwear, and we buy an awful lot of footwear for our guys on site. And the product's made in northern Italy, but component parts come from Argentina, Czech Republic, Romania, Tunisia. You know, I think we had 12 countries in the supply chain for one boot. Wow. Yeah, and you start... And you start thinking to yourself, well, what are the implications? All right, there's, there is UK manufacturers of footwear, of which they cost a lot more in money. You know, we wouldn't be the only people that will be making that diversification and that switch. So I think we could potentially see huge supply shocks as people try and mitigate the risk of the additional time from sourcing in Europe, because nobody knows what that time is going to look like or what, what the situation is going to be. So... I'm really worried, Gary, to be honest, um, because I don't know. What, I don't know what I don't know, and I certainly don't know enough. Um, and we've been trying an awful lot over the last two years to try and get a greater understanding. We've done Brexit surveys with our supply chain. We've um, we've encouraged our peers across the sector to do the SIPS one, which is a really good um, document. We've got a whole construction page in that. You know, we're having regular conversations with our supply chain. We're looking at whether or not we need to buy additional stocks of things and you know we don't like to do that as a business we tend to work just in time in reality where we can yeah um but uh, if i sat down in front of our group commercial director could i give him the assurances that he needed to know that everything's going to be great i couldn't at this stage because there's just too many interdependent factors in, in, in relation to the macroeconomic economy that are still unknowns and you know people out there just say it's project fear but Surely COVID needs to be a lesson to everyone that no one ever thought we'd go on lockdown like Italy and that we'd be, you know, lose our civil liberty for, you know, 12, 14 weeks. But we did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah like, and like you say, and when, I, when I listen to you say when the component part the, or the boots made in northern Italy, immediately there's a there's a huge risk there because, um, you know, that was the, the home of COVID in Italy, wasn't it? That region. Absolutely. And, and footwear is going to be a real issue because that's where yeah. an awful lot of safety footwear comes from. I know right, they had significant stocks on the ground, but we're burning through those and they're trying to catch up. So it might be that as a result of COVID, in eight months' time, there might be a, a shortfall in footwear. Yeah. It's then made worse by Brexit. So it's crazy, you know, absolutely crazy. When you read various articles in, you know, there's a really good article in the Supply Management magazine and a similar one in The Economist, trade deficits are, are all over the place. The containers aren't where they're supposed to be because, you know, Peru isn't buying coffee, which means isn't exporting coffee, which means Canada then doesn't have enough containers to send stuff to China. And it's just bizarre when you start reading all these interconnected supply chains and how reliant we are on them. But we don't really know enough about them. 
that's what's scary. Yeah, I think, and I think you're right that supply chain mapping is key. Uh, you know, I totally take your point on board about having a comfort. Yeah, we buy it off a supplier in the UK, but then when we actually get into the supply chain mapping exercise, most of the components well, don't come from the UK. Um, or, it's a, or it's a distributor in the UK that's bringing it yeah. in from, from Europe. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, you know, it's interesting uh, that you say in 95 and 5, and I did think it would be quite heavily weighted to UK just because of the nature of, of what you do. Um, but you are, you know, you are right that that 5% could be critical item. Critical, and similarly, yeah. the 95, you know, isn't, isn't safe. Do, do, you, do you think that your supply base or your top 10 or whatever will change through this, through this period, some in, some out? I don't think so. You don't my only my, my biggest concern around individual suppliers that are sourced from outside the UK centres around cable because yeah. we don't produce that in the UK, and secondarily would be precast concrete because the Irish market owns a huge part of the UK market. In reality, that's a that's a product that Ireland make and we export uh, from Ireland over to the UK and. You know, there's very few UK manufacturers are precast now because they couldn't compete with the Irish market. So a couple of the Irish precasters own plants in the UK and have got plans to open them at some point. But, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the common travel area between Ireland might make it easier. But that'd be one of my big concerns that it isn't that UK supplied base to make that switch. It doesn't exist. Just one last one from on Brexit from me. Do you, do you, I was, I, let's go back to last time round. Do, do, do you did you find that? Or did you have any surpri surprises in terms of supply relationships, or, or was it the case that you know strategic, effective procurement and developing good relationships was a real benefit during that period? Um, it, it was a real benefit, and we've got some fantastic supply relationships. Yeah, and. You know, they've been under strain recently just because we implemented a new ERP system last year, which has caused us huge amounts of pain when paying people. But even throughout that, we kept the communication really good and did what we could to try and help people um, where we can. So we've got some really strong relationships and we couldn't have got through COVID without them. Um, I did a piece for um, Supply Management Magazine that's on the SIPS website around Keyline. Keyline, one of our strategic partners, we spend between eight and 10 million pounds a year. They're a builder's merchant who we get an awful lot of products from and they were looking to close over covid because they, they 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 were concerned about things and we had a conversation with them about remaining open and you know i'm not saying they remained open solely for us but i think at one point we were 60 percent of their sales during the uh during the lockdown and you know they, they probably wouldn't have stayed open if we hadn't continued to buy from them but we needed them just as much as they needed us and i think that real mutual over that period of time has fostered much greater trust and we're looking at extending and doing a three-year deal with them without going out to tender because we understand the, the merits and the kind of non-price factors of having that type of relationship so yeah. i think it's been really no that's a real benefit of a uh, good um, supply relationship management okay i'll pass it back to sue okay thank you gary um have a glass have a drink of water ben you've you 
<laughs> you might need that. Um, okay, I've just got a couple of questions around um, social value. I mean, both Gary and I have seen a, a huge uplift in demand for social value training courses. Um, and, you know, particularly with the public sector, really, really pushing uh, social value. Can you give me some examples of how the construction industry are driving social value? Again, it, it is a tough one because ultimately we work for different public sector bodies and National Grid have got a different sustainability and ethics drive to say a network rail. And at the moment, price is still a dominating factor in their landscape. But we are approaching a tipping point where we're seeing more and more push towards kind of green or social value type criteria. But for me, it hasn't tipped yet. Um, and we need it to tip because an awful lot of the initiatives that we've got in construction cost more in terms of, you know, a like for like product, but it's looking at that whole life costing of it. And at the moment, not every single client values that in the same way. So it means that we can't invest as much as we would like by doing it across the piece, because it ultimately depends whether or not our client will pay for it. You know, we've got a product that we, we kind of um, the first to buy it in the UK construction industry called GTL. And it's very glee, green fuel that produces significantly less emissions. Um, but it costs an extra nine pence a litre. And certain clients, um, particularly in London, happy to pay it because obviously they're, they've got a much bigger drive on lowering emissions. Other clients aren't quite so willing. And, it, and, we, and with the margins being as slender as they are in construction, we can't afford to absorb that. Um, because we just it would just completely uh, make our margins unsustainable. So I think we need a collective from the government around making sure each of their kind of bodies, if you like, and ultimately clients that we contract with has similar or the same agenda because there's so many things that we are doing in small chunks across the piece from, you know, reduction in single-use plastics, encouragement um, of the use of SMEs, um, zero to landfill, circular economy examples, community projects, you know, use of recycled products, but we're not able to do it across the board yet because there's no consistency and we're still battling in this price versus value and it hasn't gone far enough yet. I mean, that, that price versus value, in despite, I mean, that must have huge implications on your supply chain. It, it really does. Um, yeah. And I think at the moment, I feel like I'm squeezing them at both ends. I'm wanting yeah. a huge amount of value and a huge amount of initiatives, but I'm not necessarily willing to pay for it as much as I would. You know, it, it's, it's not a, it's not an equitable partnership. Yeah. And I think that, that flows right down from the top, really. Um, but it doesn't mean we're not doing things. We are doing an awful lot. The, the biggest single initiative we've got going on in procurement at the moment is trying reduction, reduction in single-use plastics. So working yeah. with our supply chain to not send it in in plastic wrapping, looking at alternatives when you have to use plastic wrapping, trying to minimise it to the absolute minimum, getting the supplier to take it away again to see whether they can recycle it, you know, see whether that can be reused so then it isn't necessarily single-use. But that that's one of the bigger areas we're looking at as well as trying to work out what we do with products when we don't need them anymore. Like, for example, PPE, we buy a huge amount of it, but it isn't recyclable. There's not a lot you can do with it. So you can only imagine where that all goes. So we're trying to work with our supply chain, both on the PPE side, on both on the waste side, to how do we appropriately recycle PPE so it doesn't end up in landfill or it doesn't. So it's there's a lot going on. And, you know, it's becoming 
ever more important for a variety of reasons from clients to younger people joining the sector to just generally doing the right thing um but it, yeah. it isn't consistent enough yet to make yeah, a huge that's... difference yeah i was gonna say i mean that that seems to be the problem that it that the requirement for social value is really dri- driven by the customer lift stroke client yeah um and if 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 that's not there it it, it falls back down to price again so yeah, so what you're saying is we need more of a united front, really, um, to to drive it forward, and more Definitely. education, maybe some, you know, more awareness, more government initiatives to do this. Exactly. Don't get me wrong. Certain clients are really good at it. I mean, I did a project a while back, and it wasn't in my current employer, where we committed to a certain percentage of spend within a sixty mile radius of the project, and if we didn't hit that target, then it, we suffered financially for it. And as you can imagine that made the procurement strategy really clear. You know, we literally yeah. sourced as much as we possibly could from within that 60-mile radius. So it can, it can be done. Yeah, it just needs to be, yeah, driven from the top, like you say. It's, it's interesting because the, there is a big there is a big drive, drive for it, but also, you know, organisations don't want to pay for it either. But, nope. but there, are, there are ways of doing it and reducing costs at the same time. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've got an initiative called called Waste to Wealth, where we believe if we actually reduce our waste, we'll actually benefit from increased efficiency. So that is something we're massive on at the moment about, you know, recycling, even in our offices and making sure that wood goes in a wood skip and can be recycled and, you know, and, and doing all the right thing. And we're finding that has is having an effect, a small effect. It's not it's not mega, but, you know, if you magnify that across an entire organisation, then, you know, the effects can certainly be felt. Oh, I mean... Oh one of the key stakeholders that I work with now I mean I speak to him daily now um, over the last year is our head of environment now in no other organization I've worked in have I had such a close relationship with head environment so that tells you where we're going and actually it's not just about our own consumption it's about looking at our supply chains consumption so I'm now looking at trying to track our carbon footprint of our entire supply chain for certain orders so i've been having meetings this week about trying to do that and i've never done that before in the 12 years that i've been doing this so you know definitely exciting times and things are changing for the better i just think it's going to take us a little while longer to get to a place where i can i can actively look at somebody in the eye and say we're doing everything that we can yeah yeah we're just we're not quite there yet we just yeah we need to continue and uh, increase that awareness yeah okay okay that's that's all my questions thank you very okay. much ben appreciate that Okay, I've got only a couple more questions left, and I think some of my next question you've you've all, almost pretty much answered already, but I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> so my <laughs> last little section was to talk about <clears throat> how procurement adds value in the construction industry, and what what I was, which you've already touched on, which I was going to ask you was, um, you know, in the environment where that, you know, in my experience now, which unfortunately is a lot. Um, I've seen procurement grow and procurement and supply chain grow. And you have the likes of Martin Christopher saying that organizations nowadays compete on supply chains and, and it, that's how, how, how critical it is. Um, so I was interested in, on your views in construction, uh, certainly looking at external environment, et cetera, is how, is how can procurement in construction or even in your organization give your organization competitive advantage over others you know what is it you can do in your procurement function that will make you better than equivalent procurement functions 
it all comes down to relationships and early involvement, Gary. I yeah. think where we add greater values when we have the time to do so, yeah. we've certainly got relationships, the expertise and understanding of where we can be innovative and where we can have a cutting edge. But what we fail to do on a consistent basis is generally get the supply chain involved. Um, and when we do, we generally see really good successes. So at a work winning stage before we've won a project, we try and develop some key win themes around where we think the value is going to be. And if one of them sits in a, in a sweet spot for, you know, supply chain involvement, then that's where we would literally get in, you know, get in one of the major concrete suppliers or one of the major muckaway suppliers or, you know, the structural steel provider. And you would try and have a look at things at a very early stage. And that is how you drive value in construction. You know, you can, everybody can try and, you know, bang the fist on the table at the 11th hour to try and, you know, bash the supply chain up for two and 3%. But yeah. that is equitable and it doesn't actually drive long-term relationships. The way you do it is you provide pipeline information to your supply chain and they often know an awful lot what's going on and they'll be asking you about a job at the same time that you're asking them about one and they've been tracking them in the same way you are. So early engagement uh, and having that relationship with your supply chain so you can put those two together is the way in which you develop a cutting edge to be able to win work over rivals because there's very little that differentiates all the major construction companies, you know, our unique selling point is for a self-delivery infrastructure business. We provide, we provide far, we self-deliver far more than others. um, But we still have to buy the same products that our our competition do. So we've got to make sure that we do that in a more competitive way. And how do we do that? Well, we try and become, you know, a customer of choice, if you like, you know, we try and pay pay fairly, um, try and enhance relationship and, actively manage it and you know ask them what they think about us through a 360 assess their performance and go on that continual improvement journey with them but it all falls down if you're not getting them involved early because you're never going to see the benefits of your of the close relationship with your supply chain unless you're doing that okay great and i think in addition to that i think some of the other things that you mentioned on social value i think again or may um men it's sort of your well waste to wealth scheme and yeah. Your, your carbon activity again uh hopefully will uh, differentiate you from others i'm sure everybody's doing it but it's how, how well everybody's doing it yeah um, well it needs to come from the government gary i think like i said there's a lot of our clients doing some really good stuff yeah but everyone's got very different ideas on what the right thing is and i don't think we've got a clear directive from from downing street that, yeah. that's filtering down or the pyramid one exactly consistency is key yeah because we could all do a hell of a lot more if we had that consistent message about what was expected of us and how, and how we needed to do it yeah okay well one last one an easy one but it, it might turn out to not be let's see yeah <laughs> um so i'm just going to ask you as an easy one to finish how do you think working in procurement in the construction industry from your experience differs to working in procurement in other industries I think when I speak to my peers in other sectors, they can't get their head around the lack of planning and demand aggregation that that we don't have. I've got friends in retail and they know what they're going to buy every year for the next five years. And they say to me, you got that? I say, I don't know what I'm going to buy, you know. (laughs) Project two weeks time yeah. yeah yeah you know if i'm lucky we win a major project i can schedule it all in and i know where i'm going to be but a lot of our projects just aren't run that way you know sometimes we'll get given work by a client at two days notice you know there's a 
we do a lot of reactive maintenance for network rail. So there's an embankment slip on the West Coast main line. We'll go and fix it. And we don't know what's required until we get there. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I guess you're also an environment where you probably don't hold much stock either. Absolutely. We yeah. can't afford to. So yeah. I think that's where we differ. We don't know long term what we're going to buy. Yeah. We've got an idea, but we can't commit to it. But if I could commit to volumes of my supply chain, then they would benefit. And then consequently, I'd be able to get a better rate and a better service. And, you know, it'd all be fantastic. But unfortunately, construction just isn't in that space where you're ever going to have a clear pipeline and understanding of what you're going to buy over a projected period of time that you were completely certain to hang your hat on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ben, Ben, can I just, can I just ask, just leading on from that, it's interesting what you're saying about procurement and the challenges of working, you know, in, in the construction industry, what type of an individual do you think would be suitable for procurement in construction? Because it way, is so different. The way I see it is it's someone that enjoys a challenge and, Basically, every day is different and you don't need to get hung up on the intricacies of products and knowing the civil engineering specification for this and for that. It's about understanding that one stakeholder needs something and you need to know the other stakeholder on the supply chain side and putting them both together. But it's very, very fast paced. You know, things just happen, Um, you know, whether whether a, a problem on a job or a job gets awarded to us or a client comes to us with a, you know, a Hail Mary at the 11th hour, it's very, very fast paced. And it's about being able to prioritize and understand what's important. So if you're good at prioritizing and, and dealing with multiple projects and stakeholders that all think they're more important than each other um, and you like interact social interaction and procurement along for you because the, the time just flies by, absolutely flies by. And there's nothing more interesting than going to a project and there being nothing there, you know, getting there when we just put in a, you know, all the other all on-site accommodation down and leaving when it turns into, you know, a new railway bridge or a, a new tunnel or a wind farm, you know, and, and having, you know, the satisfaction that you played a key role in delivering yeah. that because you get to see all your products and services that you procure turn up on site and, yeah. you know, understand how they all fit together in a jigsaw. There is a, that, that satisfaction is, is really, really great, isn't it? Yeah. Brilliant. definitely okay uh, any 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 other questions sue no i'm nope. i'm really really happy and i've really enjoyed this chat thank you yeah. very much ben. anything further from you ben not not at all other than um for me if anybody out there is interested in in a career in construction or procurement i'm more than happy to have a conversation with them um i, I get various people on linkedin hit me up and i'm happy to have conversations because i think bringing people through is really important and we'll all benefit from it Okay, thanks for that. So, yeah, that's been a great session. Thanks very much, Ben, for joining us today. You've been very open, very informative, um, and we've really enjoyed it. So thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you soon. No problem. Thanks very much, Ben. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.